things. Hold on, that, you gotta take it. They're laughing, and I need the clean so audio for the podcast. But you're really just making Sherry's life harder. <laughs> Do you want that immediate silence from the crowd? I love it. Oh, you want some Munich, Germany, what is good? It is a delight to be here in your wonderful city, in your wonderful country, talking about books. It's gonna be great. I've had a lovely stay in your town so far. Haven't gotten to do much except for arrive, prepare for the shows, do the early show, and now do the late show. But shout out to all of you, because when we put up the tickets for the show, I think it was like a Thursday or something, and Mario, the guy who I've been working with on everything here, was like, got an email that was like, yeah, the tickets are live. And I was like, okay, great. And then I'm pretty sure on Monday, he was like, hey, the show sold out. <laughs> so props to all of you for getting on the tickets. That is some dedication. I didn't know what to expect, but uh, selling out this spot so quickly that the problem presented itself of, uh, we gotta add another show. <laughs> Beautiful problem to have. Thank you all so much for doing that, and thank you for packing the house here. I'm very excited to continue our coverage of book five of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and we're going to be finishing up chapter one, getting into a little bit of chapter two, depending on how time allows, and I will be talking about it with a very special person, a very special guest, someone that you know and you love, their appearance on the podcast, so please make some noise for Stephen Parra. <laughs> One day Hello, I Munich. will paint the hairbrush blue. <laughs> but anyway, you were saying. Hello, Munich. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. It's been literal minutes since I've last seen you. Uh, it's been too long. Been way too long. We haven't talked about Percy Jackson books in like an hour. Oh. Oh, let's get on it. Let's do it. So we're going to be talking about today is the rest of chapter one of The Last Olympian, a little bit of chapter two. Now, I've talked with Kelly a little bit about her feelings mm -hmm. about book five and how it fits into the series in a non-spoilery way. How do you feel about book five and its place in the PJO series? I mean, I think it's great. I think it just uh, comes back to a testament of Rick's writing that he's really good at making a, a great complete narrative and a great arc. And I yeah. think um, it does exactly what it sets out to do in a story. And I think it's great. Yeah, I've been really enjoying it so far. I think we should just get right into it where we finished up our coverage of chapter one, which is a long, chunky chapter. We had the situation where Percy and Beckendorf were in the Princess Andromeda. They were running all around. They were trying to figure out how do we destroy this thing? They were trying to get all that situated. But unfortunately, Percy had to go into a plan where he started to be the distraction, allowing Beckendorf to finish blowing stuff up. And exactly where we left off, Percy had just chunked part of a you are here display at a Dracani and then <laughs> slammed the other one into an elevator, which is very cool. And then he was continuing to make his way through the monster infested ship. So that is where we will pick up. Now, as he's running through the ship, hellhounds are chasing him, arrows are whizzing by him, and then a 12-year-old kid approaches and yells, Kronos, in a scared <laughs> voice. Aww. Yeah. 
This saddens Percy, who can tell that this poor, impressionable kid is being manipulated by Kronos simply because he was a demigod. This kid isn't old enough to make any sort of decisions, and Kronos is just picking him because, look, you're a demigod, you need to join my team, and that sucks. I mean, it just mm -hmm. makes you think of the weird situation that at least happens in America sometimes where parents are teaching kids stuff that they don't know anything about and they're like yeah. weirdly having very strong political opinions. Like you're 12, you don't know <laughs> anything. So your parents should not be doing all this. Like let them be kids, come on. It's mm -hmm. wild that that happens. Yeah, you know, and I think it kind of harkens back all the way to Calypso in the fourth book where she talks to Percy about like why she supported the Titans in the first war. She's like, well, do you like them because you're your family or because, you know, they're doing the right thing? And I think it kind of reflects back to this kid. We don't know his story, but it right. seems like it might have just been the people that got to him first. Right. It's tough. Percy can bring himself to hurt this kid. So instead, he just disarms him and then takes a risky move that he thinks is worth it. He warns this kid that if he wants to live, he needs to get off the ship now and he should tell all the other demigods the same thing. And I agree, that is risky, but I also can see it being worth it because we've had people recruited to Kronos's army, demigods specifically like Chris Rodriguez, who we have now seen is a good guy. And, you know, he was misguided a little bit, but we all made poor decisions when we were teenagers. So mm -hmm. it's good to give people that second chance. And I am interested to see if anything comes of this, but I still like Percy's instinct that he knows this might ruin my plan. This might go against me, but it's important that I try to get this innocent, for the most part, kid saved if I can. Let me try to do this, even if it would come back to bite me in the butt. For sure. Percy then, after being very nice to him, shoves him down the stairs. <laughs> so you can't be too nice to him and progresses onward. Percy gets outside to the main deck and the rendezvous point is close. The rendezvous point is the helipad and the plan is to meet Beckendorf there, jump into the sea, and then let Percy's water powers sort of handle the rest. And now that makes sense to me as to why they let Blackjack fly away because earlier Blackjack brought them there and Percy was like, we don't need you, you can head home. And I was like, "Is why not? Like, why <laughs> not just have him kind of fly around? You could have a cool escape horse, but... I get it, you don't need him there, you don't want Blackjack to get captured again and all of that, so I understand now. Yeah. Halfway across the deck though, Percy hears the sound of a voice and because it said a voice, we know it's not Beckendorf, and this <laughs> voice says, you're late, Percy, and I just wrote, okay, this is gonna be Kronos. And then narrative Percy gives us the following description. Luke stood on the balcony above me, a smile on his scarred face. He wore jeans, a white t-shirt, and flip-flops. <laughs> the most appropriate battle wear. <laughs> like he was just a normal college age guy, but his eyes told the truth. They were solid gold. And I feel like the biggest red flag is not the golden eyes, but the flip flops <laughs> for many different reasons. But specifically, if you're supposed to be leading an army and your shoe choice is flip flops, I don't get it. I never was a big flip flop guy. Sure, on the beach, that's one thing, but I, as a kid, never liked wearing flip-flops because I always thought, you know, just like fashion followers, just like walking around mm -hmm. with my friends, going to the park, whatever. I never wanted to be wearing flip-flops because what if a spontaneous sporting game popped up? <laughs> like, what if someone needed a fifth person to be on their team for five-on-five -five basketball? What if people wanted to throw a Frisbee? What if people wanted to play football or whatever? And I'm caught in flip-flops and then I'm not able to run quickly? Never. I was always a sneaker guy, through and through. 
I wore a lot of flip-flops. Uh-huh. <laughs> and in a previous episode, you talked about getting a lot of fire ant bites. That's true. So, my point stands. <laughs> So Luke slash Kronos says that they've been expecting Percy for days in a voice that is at first just Luke's voice, but then Kronos's voice, the knife scraping across a rock chilling voice comes through as he beckons Percy to bow before him. And Percy mutters, yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> so Lystragonian giants file in around the swimming pool as if they are on cue. Demigod archers take aim from above Two hellhounds jump down from the balcony, and just like that, Percy is surrounded. He realizes that this whole ordeal has been a trap because there's no way they could have taken this form so quickly unless it was very intentional of, Percy's going to come here and then we'll file into this formation. Hmm. Percy, at first, has conflicted feelings about Luke because he doesn't know, based on the voice situation, if Luke's consciousness is still in there, but then he pushes sympathy aside, remembering that Luke was still evil long before Kronos possessed him. <laughs> and I was very excited he came to that realization because he was like, oh no, I feel bad for Luke. I'm like, Luke, the guy who was a jerk to you, except for like the first six chapters of the series? Like the percentage of jerk to not jerk is way more jerk. <laughs> So don't feel bad for me. I'm feeling a little bad for him, but not that much bad for him. <laughs> he made his own bed and now he has to lay in it and it's all solid gold and gross. <laughs> Percy thinks to himself that he will have to fight Kronos eventually. So why not now? And I have a pretty good answer because you're alone <laughs> and he's a Titan. Yeah, it's just like he's surrounded by everything. You know, the arrows, the everything, the hellhounds. He's like, no time like the present. Like, yes. Makes Why not sense. now? Because it's one on 76. Yeah. <laughs> not the best time. Yeah. There's many reasons why not now. But Percy reminds the reader of his whole turning 16 prophecy. And it does specifically say, if Kelly hadn't pointed it out to me in an earlier episode, I wouldn't have thought of it. But when is the choice supposed to happen? Is it exactly when he turns 16? Is it after? Is it right before he turns 16? But when he's talking about the prophecy, he says, quote, in regards to the choice, when I was 16, and thinks, if that's only seven days away, then I have the power to make a choice now to save or destroy the world. So why not just take care of it now? Again, reasons one through 76 are in front of you. <laughs> Narrator Percy says, as if reading my thoughts, Luke smiled. No, he was Kronos. I had to remember that. And I'm glad that he is keeping that in perspective. I can imagine it being hard since he looks like Luke aside from mm -hmm. the eyes. It's gotta be a little tricky. And we did see that even when presented with the opportunity to kill Luke straight up when he was in the coffin, Percy couldn't bring himself to do it. So it makes sense. Yeah. So Luke slash Kronos tells Percy to come forward if he dares. The monsters step aside and Percy walks up the stairs. He feels riptide in pen form in his pocket. And I wrote, thank goodness. <laughs> because where we last left riptide, it was in the middle of a crab's stomach. And then Percy kept running going, nah, that'll come back to me eventually. <laughs> and like, I know it should, but there's always a risk. Come on. So I'm glad that it is safe and sound. I'm much relieved. I was very concerned. <laughs> so he then wields it in sword form as he continues. Kronos's poorly named weapon appears in his hands, and we get a description for it. It is a six-foot-long scythe. It is half celestial bronze and half steel. So basically, it's as big as Luke himself, unless Luke is seven feet tall, which I don't think that he is. Otherwise, he'd be a professional basketball player, not a demigod. <laughs> but... I didn't know if I was just misremembering it or if I just interpreted it differently from the description. 
in book four, did it seem like it was a scythe? I always thought it was like a curved blade sword, but now they're very much calling it a scythe, which feels like a different vibe. If you're thinking of Grim Reaper or the Golden Scythe from Stardew Valley, I'm thinking of big long stick and then big blade at the end, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, sword handle and then curve around the sword handle. Yeah. Thank you to my hairbrush for allowing for physical prop comedy here at the show. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Look, I'm not going to not fix my hair. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's like, you got you got it in your hand. You might as well use it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the simplest explanation is he's a titan, so he can do what he wants with his weapons, I think. But obviously it's a scythe now. And I think right. that, that kind of fits the whole, like, supervillain vibe to me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. scythes are so sinister. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has got a sword. Right. If there's anything I've noticed with, like, these titans and these gods, they really have a flair for the dramatics. Sure, sure. And uh, I think it's just kind of an on-brand thing. But yeah. But yeah, I don't know if in book four they just described it as like sort of a scimitar sort of thing like you're describing. Right, or, that's what I was imagining. But And I wonder if the point that you just brought up is but, the case that there are too many swords. Yeah. Because you've got Riptide, obviously. You had Backbiter before. Now mm-hmm. this is the new version of Backbiter. Two back, two biter. <laughs> but then in the Demigod Files, we have another sword come into the mix with the Sword yes. of Hades. So maybe... Uncle Rick, when he was writing this, and I could ask him this eventually when it comes on the podcast. Please, <laughs> Uncle Rick, come on the podcast. But I could see if what his thought process was, was, all right, look, we've already got a couple of swords. I want to make things a little bit different. This would be a cool vibe. Why mm-hmm. not do it? Or, you know, he says that the scythe is the symbol of Kronos. So maybe he did more Kronos-related research and maybe read something that said he would carry around a scythe and was like, well, that's incredibly villainous. That makes sense. So... Maybe it was one of those things where he did change his mind. But I still feel like the sword wasn't so well established in book four that I'm angry about it. It was more of just like, huh, I didn't know it was the scythe. Cool, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, yeah, checks out. So it's six feet tall, so it's as big as Luke, and Percy is incredibly nervous. But regardless, he charges at Kronos before he can convince himself not to do so. Time slows down, literally, and Percy feels like he's running through quicksand. He can barely lift his sword. Kronos smiles and then swirls his scythe at normal speed and just sort of lets Percy approach knowing that he's got him right where he wants him. Percy tries to channel the sea around him, but it's no use. He takes another step and then the monsters begin to laugh. He pleads with the ocean to do something, and then he feels a pain in his gut, usually a good sign here. The boat is launched sideways, and the monsters all fall. 4,000 gallons of salt water burst out of the swimming pool, and it soaks everybody on the deck. The water snaps Percy out of the spell, so he lunges at Kronos, but he's just a bit too slow, and he's hampered by seeing Luke's face, because despite his feelings, much like when he was in the coffin, it's just tough for Percy to kill someone who used to be his friend. Mm-hmm. Which I get, but also, like, they weren't that close, right? <laughs> I mean, like, Luke is one of the first people to, like, really reach out to him at the camp, yeah. you know? Okay. It's like... One of the first people that helped him feel like he belonged at the camp and shared, you know, in the commiseration. It's like him feeling abandoned by his dad, Percy feeling abandoned by his dad. Like, I Mm. see why he looked up to Luke so much in those moments. Yeah. Okay. Um, So it's less about the time spent and more about the impact of being kind of his first role model mentor. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. I get it. Now, it is an incredibly smart move by Kronos if that was part of his plan. Like if part of Kronos' whole plan was he knew that Percy would be a threat and even potentially Annabeth or Thalia, like 
by picking Luke specifically as the vessel for his return, it does make things very complicated for the potential people that would thwart Kronos. So if that mm -hmm. was an intentional choice, genius move by Kronos, for sure. Now, Kronos doesn't hesitate at all. He brings the scythe down on Percy, who thankfully hops backwards and dodges the blade by an inch, or because we're here in Germany, 2.54 centimeters. <laughs> Percy kicks Kronos, he stumbles back a bit, but Percy notes that he feels heavier than Luke should have been. And I do appreciate that specifically he said should have been because of course Percy doesn't know exactly how much Luke weighs, <laughs> but he describes it as if he kicked a refrigerator. And I feel like mm. Luke would be lighter than a refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> Chrono swings his scythe again. Percy tries to block it with Riptide, but he's only able to deflect it, and the edge of the scythe cuts off Percy's sleeve and it grazes his arm. And even though it's not a huge gash, pain just erupts down Percy's entire side. And he recalls a telekine warning that one touch of the blade would sever a soul from his body. And Percy now understands what he means. He's losing more than just blood with this wound. He's losing his strength, his will, and his identity. And that sounds horrible. Super not ideal. I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Guess it'd be like losing my strength, identity. <laughs> well, I, guess I, I guess I've never had those things happen to me. So I wouldn't be able to necessarily put a finger on it. <laughs> Percy switches Riptide to his left hand, and ooh, is Percy ambidextrous, I was wondering. He hits Kronos with a jab that should have pierced his stomach, but it bounces off of him like Percy was trying to stab a marble statue or something. Kronos laughs and tells Percy that Luke always said Percy wasn't a match for his sword play, and Percy replies, Luke had a big head, but at least it was his head. <laughs> Kronos adds that it's a shame to kill him now because he would love to see the look on Percy's face when he learns how Kronos will destroy Olympus. And that means it's going to be very personal and I am not looking forward to it, but we will just have to see what it is. You can't say anything about it. Nope. So let's move on. Percy tells Kronos that he will never get this boat to Manhattan. Kronos asks why not, wondering if Percy is banking on his friend with the explosives. And then he calls out for Ethan Nakamura. And narrator Percy describes Ethan and his whole deal, ending it with, quote, I'd saved his life in the labyrinth last summer, and in return, that little punk helped Kronos come back to life. And then Ares smiles and nods in the distance <laughs> because he called Ethan Nakamura a punk. <laughs> This little stinker, you just keep showing up. Little stinker. And as I said in a previous episode, because in the Demigod Files in story three, Ethan's there and Percy lets him get away. If Ethan doesn't do something to facilitate the good guys winning over the Titans, I'm going to be very upset. He has the potential to do the classic sort of henchman thing where at the last minute they do something nice. But if he doesn't, then he was super correct to tell Percy just to kill him because <laughs> Ethan has been repeated time and time again, a thorn in our side, but he's also repeatedly been bad at his job. <laughs> So maybe in a weird way it's okay, because if Kronos assigned someone else to these tasks who was more competent, we'd be in a worse off situation. Kronos would have the sort of Hades and the whole Beckendorf thing that's about to happen would have gone down differently. So maybe it's secretly good that Ethan is so incompetent and that's why Percy kept him alive. The fates were like, don't worry, he's actually really bad at his job. No comment. <laughs> 
<laughs> Ethan says that they found Beckendorf just as they were told. And I was confused specifically by told because that means that someone alerted them about their plans. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Two giants come forth dragging Beckendorf, who looks rough. Got a swollen eye, cuts all over, no armor, his shirt is ripped. Percy is distraught. Beckendorf makes eye contact with Percy and then glances at his watch. And Percy realizes that Beckendorf is trying to relay the information that his watch is the detonator and he still has his watch on him. Percy thinks that surely Cronus's army must have disarmed the explosives. But a giant says that they caught Beckendorf, quote, trying to sneak to the engine room, not from the engine room. And they were already in there. So that made me think, and it makes Percy think, that Beckendorf might have been able to complete the setup before he was found, which would be very helpful for us. But at this point, even though I was feeling good about the Greek fire rig maybe being set up, I was worried that Beckendorf's not gonna make his way out of this. I was already worried about Beckendorf as a character before this took place, but this situation is just not looking particularly good for our old pal Chuck, but let's just see how it goes. <laughs> but I did write in my notes here, oh boy, perhaps this is a sacrifice himself situation. Uh. <laughs> the giant asks if they can eat him now. Kronos says soon and checks with Ethan that Beckendorf didn't set the explosives. And Ethan says that Beckendorf was going towards the engine room, but Kronos is unfortunately very smart and asks Ethan how he knows that. Ethan says Beckendorf was headed in that direction, and Beckendorf told him that his bag was still full of explosives. Percy realizes <laughs> that Beckendorf has fooled them. He must have known that he was going to get captured, so he tried to make it look like he was going the other way. Percy is excited that the Greek fire could be primed, but they still need a way to get off of the ship and then detonate it. Percy hopes that Cronus will buy the story, but of course he doesn't, and he orders the goons to open Beck's backpack. And I was wondering here, is it not just empty? <laughs> Can they not just tell? But Beckendorf has thought of that. <laughs> the giant foolishly just grabs it, opens it, and dumps it out. <laughs> and everyone worries because if there was Greek fire in there, the whole boat would have exploded. <laughs> But inside are not jars of Greek fire, but instead cans of peaches. So Beckendorf, very resourceful to make the backpack look full to make the lie work. Pretty smart stuff from Beckendorf. Oh yeah. Kronos is absolutely furious, asking Ethan if he happened to capture Beckendorf near the galley. I don't know enough about boats, but from context clues, yeah. I'm guessing that's where the food is? Correct. All right. <laughs> And I just wrote here in my notes, Ethan is really messing up a whole lot, isn't he? Kronos <laughs> then asks, and did you perhaps send someone to actually, and then in all caps, check the engine room? <laughs> and I know we're supposed to hate Kronos, but he's a fun villain. Yeah, like, it's always fun when villains get angry at the incompetence of it, their henchmen. It, I feel like he's so much embodying like Disney's Hades. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when I read book one, mm -hmm. Hades from the Percy Jackson universe yeah. doesn't really feel like Disney's Hades. No. He feels, I don't know, less like sassy, angry, funny, and more kind of like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed, dad energy. <laughs> With a yeah. little bit of the sinister, but like mm -hmm. not as out there as Disney Hercules Hades. But yeah. you're right, Kronos feels a little bit more <laughs> like him because we have things in Hercules where he's mad at his two little goons and mm -hmm. he has flames going up real big. You're totally right. Yeah. 
Ethan turns and just runs away, which is his <laughs> signature move now. And Smart thinking on his part. I mean, I yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know particularly where he's going to go since he yeah. is on a boat, <laughs> but he's going to try to go somewhere. <laughs> Percy is discouraged, but tries to silently communicate a question to Beckendorf. How long? And Beckendorf makes a circle with his finger and his thumb to signify a zero, meaning that there's no delay in the timer. So once the detonator button is pressed, the ship will blow. And I wrote here, oh, Beckendorf is for sure going to tell Percy to flee and then go down with the ship. Just feels very obvious, unfortunately so, because I really like Beckendorf. Kronos turns to Percy, apologizes for his subpar henchman. <laughs> But he says that none of it matters because they have Percy now and they've known he was coming for weeks. And he puts out his hand and in his fingers, he's holding a bracelet with a scythe charm, which is Kronos' symbol. Now, Percy is in a ridiculous amount of pain right now. His wound is making it hard for him to even think, but he's able to muster up enough strength to say, communication device, spy at camp. And now I'm glad because Juniper is back in the mix as a potential spy. <laughs> They tried to get me at the end of book four with being like, oh, it's Daedalus. He was the spy. Well, there's still a spy. So she's back on trial for me. I need to get her back in handcuffs. <laughs> Stay away from Grover until I know for sure that you are harmless. I don't know if it's going to be at least her, but I at least now am looking for some sort of spy. Now, it might not be a specific person. It could just be the general thing that we have had happen in the past where Luke has kind of laughed about, oh, there's always going to be someone at camp that you can't trust, and that later became Chris Rodriguez. So mm -hmm. it might just be a vague spy as opposed to book four was like, there is a spy, and we will find this spy. And is it Quintus? No, plot twist. Quintus is a someone else. <laughs> which felt a bit unfair, but I'll allow it. How do you handcuff a tree? Like <laughs> Juniper's not literally a tree, right? She's it's, a nymph. It's kind of unclear. I imagine that she's kind of like Tinkerbelly, where she yeah. kind of flies around and is humanoid at times, but then she has a home-based juniper bush situation where she kind of lives in the tree. It's not like, I don't know, it's not like Grover smooching a bunch of leaves, right? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, Correct. He's not smooching it. <laughs> but yes, you would have to get very specific. Like, I don't know how handcuffs. far away she can get from the tree. You know, it's funny because in the Demigod Files, they have all these portraits of just humans. I would have enjoyed more portraits of the magical things yeah. to know what they look like. I guess I could figure out some sort of image of what a nymph looks yeah. like. But I was imagining vaguely pixie humanoidy in my yeah. brain is what I'm thinking. I mean, he's already a goat boy, so. Yeah, yeah, you know, goat, nymph, just your classic pairing. But actually your classic <laughs> pairing because that's what satyrs are all about. Anyway, Kronos laughs and tells Percy that he cannot count on friends because they will always let you down. And then he says, Luke learned that the hard way. To what is he referring? I was very confused by this line. Was there a particular friend that let Luke down? <laughs> Silence from the crowd. Confusion from Stephen Parra. I'm going to opt not to say Okay, anything. just because of potential spoiler, if anything. Also, because I'm just not sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Valid. I was just really confused about what he meant, and maybe we'll learn it I mean, later. I mean, like in some ways, like, you know, Thalia went down, right. you know, trying to protect him. That's not letting him down. That's actually like really helping him. Yeah, she sacrificed know? herself for the rest of the team. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what's going on. Maybe it has something to do with 
when Luke got in too deep and the whole body preparation thing, like, I'm not really sure. Maybe we'll learn later. But for now, <laughs> I was at least confused by this phrase. And it could be one of those things which does happen in the book sometimes where a couple chapters later, Pursuit would be like, hey, someone said something weird a couple chapters ago. What's going on? So like, <laughs> that's still in yeah. play, but I didn't know what he was talking about. Kronos commands Percy to drop his sword and surrender to him or he'll kill Beckendorf. And Percy recognizes that he's in no shape to save Beckendorf. If he tried to go in and save him, they would both just end up dying. And then Beckendorf mouths a single word to Percy, go. And unfortunately, it feels like uh, what I was thinking was going to happen is going to happen. Percy shakes his head because he can't just leave him there. Beckendorf capitalizes on one of the giants still rummaging through the bag and the cans, and Beckendorf raises his left arm towards the watch on his right wrist, so we do learn that Beckendorf is left-handed. Woo! Are you- I am also left-handed. Do you wear a watch on your right? right on my yeah. right hand, yeah. It's weird because I've never thought about why we do that. Like, is there a reason why? I guess because you're always writing and yeah. stuff with it, you want that hand more free than the other one? That's exactly it. I think it's like for anything. Like, you know, you use your dominant hand for a lot of stuff. For me, it's my left hand. So I keep my right hand free. I can just look at my watch and that's that. Yeah. So Beckendorf, we get to learn one final thing about him before he goes out. And he's left-handed. We knew him so well. But <laughs> Percy wants to scream out, no. A Dracani asks what Beckendorf is doing and what's on his wrist. Beckendorf closes his eyes and brings his hand to his watch. And Percy knows that he has no choice at this point. So he throws Riptide at Kronos like a javelin. <laughs> it merely bounces off his chest, but it startles him enough to distract him. And Percy is able to run and push through a crowd of monsters and jump off the side of the ship to the sea below. And as he's falling, he hears a rumbling inside the ship, the screams of monsters, and the whoosh of a spear passing by his head. And the Princess Andromeda explodes from both sides and becomes an enormous green fireball. And narrator Percy then just says, Beckendorf, I thought. Uh, which is super crushing. Percy then blacks out and sinks towards the bottom of the ocean. And that's the end of chapter one. Let's get into chapter two because that is too sad of a note to end <laughs> anything on. Yeah, I, I do remember being like 17 years old reading this book for the first time and getting through that chapter was just devastated. Yeah, yeah. I was very much worried that one of Beckendorf and Selina wasn't going to make it out just because they were getting set up as those characters. And it wasn't until the beginning of this endeavor when Percy told Beckendorf, we're going to be okay, that I thought, <laughs> they're not going to be okay. <laughs> so that really ramped it up. I was expecting it to happen towards the end, like another battle, kind of like book four, but mm -hmm. nope, chapter one. <clears throat> now, let's get into chapter two. It's called I Meet Some Fishy Relatives. And I was very excited because this very much felt like it's the the situation that I've been hoping for for many books, which is Percy finally getting to end up in Poseidon's home. I was very excited at the prospect of that. Let's see if that's what happens. Narrator Percy says, quote, demigod dreams suck. And I wrote, <laughs> oh no, more dreams. Percy dreams that he's at the palace of Mount Othrys. Two giant men stand over a bronze brazier and they can see images in the flames. One is wearing black armor with silver studs and a war helm with ram's horns on each side of it. And he says, quite an explosion. And the other who's wearing golden robes and he's sporting golden eyes and a glowing body says, it doesn't matter. The gods have answered the challenge. Soon they will be destroyed. And this person reminds Percy of an evil Apollo. 
And because he said that specifically, I'm intrigued to see, I don't know a lot about the Titans, except for the ones that are in Hercules, but I know there's like a fire Titan, but we've already had him because that was Typhon, right? In Mount St. Helens. So I don't know if there's like a sun Titan or something, if he really is a counterpart to Apollo or if it is just the vibes, but I'm intrigued to figure out who this golden Titan is. He feels important based on what happens in the beginning of this chapter. He is. <laughs> Percy can make out some of the images in the fire, such as storms, crumbling buildings, and mortals running in fear. The Golden Titan says that he will go east to marshal the forces, and he commands the ram-horn-helmeted Titan, Creos, to guard Mount Othrys. Creos is upset that he always gets the crappy jobs, like the Lord of the South and the Lord of Constellations, and now he's tasked with babysitting Atlas, who's been over on the side the whole time, holding up the sky, <laughs> moaning in pain, and he yells, let me out, curse you, I am your greatest warrior, take my burden so I may fight. And the Golden Titan silences him and says that he had a shot, but he blew it. And he adds that Kronos is happy with Atlas exactly where he is. <laughs> I like that now in each book since Atlas has been around, we have canon confirmation that he is still struggling and not having a good time. Nope. <laughs> Krios asks what they should do if they do need more warriors, citing that their, quote, treacherous nephew in the tuxedo won't do them much good in a fight. We don't learn who the treacherous nephew in the tuxedo is, but I'm very intrigued by the treacherous nephew in the tuxedo. You can't say anything, yeah. so I'll just keep going, but I am very interested. Early book episodes are very tough for guests. Yes. It's a lot of planting the seed of later things. My this book apologies. is really good, man. Yeah, it's, 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 that's all I'll say, yeah. Now, the Golden Titan, who is still not named, so I identified, okay, this guy's got to be important. If we've gone this long with him not having a name, that means he's going to be important. This happened with Minos. He didn't get a name for a really long time, so I'm imagining that this guy, at least of the Titans that are left, Aside from Kronos, maybe he's kind of next in command of the people who are still available because Atlas is struggling and all that. So I'll have to see, but I'm not sure. I am just sure that he's probably a big deal. So the Golden Titan laughs and tells Krios not to worry about their tuxedo nephew. And he says that the gods can barely handle their first challenge and they have no idea how many more are in store. He's confident that soon enough Olympus will be in ruins and that they will usher in the sixth age. So I'm intrigued about a lot of things here. What is this challenge? What is the sixth age? What were the other five? <laughs> Golden Titan then disappears in an eruption of flames, which makes Krios jealous. He says, oh sure, he gets to erupt into flames. I get to wear these stupid ram's horns. <laughs> And I'm wondering what the situation is that not only does he have particular tasks that he has to accomplish that he doesn't like, but who's making the fashion choices as well? Yeah. But he has to have ram's horns. I had the same thought. I was like, just take him off, bro. Yeah. <laughs> If you're that upset about it. <laughs> very, very intrigued. But clearly they all need their fashion differences. We have Golden Titan, we have Ram mm -hmm. Titan, we have Tuxedo Titan. Everyone has their vibes. So then the dream changes locations, but not to a drastically different location. It's just outside the same pavilion. But he can see a boy eavesdropping on the Titans. And I thought, all right, Nico, what are you doing here? <laughs> 
and it is Nico D'Angelo. He stares straight at Percy through the dream, which I found very interesting. And he says, you see, Percy, you're running out of time. Do you really think you can beat them without my plan? And then the dream goes black. So that is very cool. I like that Nico has this ability. I wonder if he intentionally communicated through this dream or if he was already there and he could tell that Percy was watching. I want to know how that all works. But also, this is now the second time that we've had the plan mentioned after book four ended and no one's mm -hmm. told us what the plan is and it's been about a year. What's the plan? I'm sure they're going to tell us very soon, but I want to know. Keep reading. I know, <laughs> but I have to stop every time I make an episode. <laughs> Percy wakes to the sound of a deep voice calling his name. Percy, with hope, asks if it's Beckendorf. The voice replies, no, brother. And when Percy realizes that he's looking at a Cyclops, he asks Tyson. And then this voice replies, yay, your brain works. <laughs> oh, Tyson. Oh, what a good way to uh, ease the pain of Beckendorf. <laughs> Just right. Give us Tyson. I think Uncle Rick does a very good job of that. He already does a good job of balancing things, even when it's not trying to overcome emotions, when it's just trying to do a chapter that's fun and lighthearted, do a chapter that's intense. Like he does a good job of varying things. But yes, this is the perfect palate cleanser we need to one of our friends passing is one of our good friends coming back. So I'm glad that Tyson was here to kind of ease that pain. Percy's not sure that his head is on straight. His body feels weightless and cold. His voice sounds off, and hearing Tyson feels more like vibrations in his head rather than normal sounds. Yes, because you're underwater, Percy. <laughs> Come on. Percy sits up, and a gossamer sheet, which I had to Google, it's like a blanket of sorts, a gossamer huh. sheet floats away. He's on a bed made of woven kelp in a room made of abalone shell panels. There are basketball-sized pearls. I love that basketball found its way in here. <laughs> basketball-sized pearls that are floating around the ceiling, giving off light. And finally, Percy realizes that he's underwater. So it's very exciting. He's finally in the kingdom. Percy recognizes that this isn't a huge deal, but it does still spook him when a hammerhead shark swims through his bedroom window. It's like, sup? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even though they're underwater and I guess you don't need a window, you would think that maybe some of these creatures would respect personal space. It's coming into my bedroom? That's quite rude. Where are your manners? It's a big ocean, man. Yeah. All so, kinds of sharks. Go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> he begins to ask Tyson where he is. Tyson finishes his sentence saying, Daddy's Palace. Under normal circumstances, Percy would have been thrilled. But given the pain that he's still in despite the healing that took place, he's not feeling great about this. Percy begins to ask how long he's been here. Tyson again finishes his sentence saying that they found him last night. Percy asks about the Princess Andromeda. Tyson confirms that it, quote, went kaboom. Very good <laughs> description. Percy asks if there was any sign of Beckendorf. Tyson says sadly no and tells Percy that he's sorry. Good comforting from Tyson for a sad situation. Mm -hmm. Percy doesn't want to entertain the possibility of Beckendorf being gone. He was supposed to go to college soon. He has a girlfriend and he has friends who love him and a whole life ahead of him but he thinks that there's just no way that Beckendorf got out of there. And even if he did manage to get away from the explosion, the only way out was to fall 100 feet into the sea like Percy was able to do. But Percy has water powers that protect him from falls like this. So he just does not have high hopes for Beckendorf here. He can just feel in his gut that Beckendorf is gone and he feels awful about it. I would hope not too awful. I hope it doesn't get into blame myself territory because literally what else could you have done, Percy, except for not go? Yeah, you know, but I think 
when you have a friendship like that close, because like he definitely was someone that like Percy really looked up to, and mm-hmm. outside of the main trio, really seemed to be like his best friend at camp. Yeah, honestly. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think when you lose someone that close to you, whether or not it's really your fault or not, you know, I think it's going to be something that's hard to to let go of. Yeah, and it does work out in the sense that in the Demigod Files in the third story, we have Melano ask him if he has any deaths he regrets. And he said he made peace with all of them. This feels like one he might not have been able to make peace with because for everybody else, he kind of got to have a more extended discussion with them before they passed, except for Lee Fletcher, who found his way into the description. <laughs> but I guess he doesn't count because, you know, it's part of war and he wasn't as close of friends with him. But in this case, it was something where it was out of his hands, it was close, it was quick, it wasn't anything that he could have done. So maybe he does feel regret of, oh no, they knew we were coming. Maybe we could have been more secretive or watched who yeah. we talked about the plan with at camp. Maybe if I knew who the spy was, like this could be something that Percy legitimately regrets. So that would be a tougher situation for him for sure. For sure. And I mean, like, at least from his consciousness, you know, the last thing he remembers is jumping off the ship. Right. And now he just woke up. So he could still just be processing all of this right yeah, now. Yeah, right. It's you know. quite tough. We can't expect Percy to just be okay with it. So I understand yeah. his emotions here. Now, he hates that the Titans in his dream discussed the whole situation like it was nothing. Just feels like insult to injury. And he's worried about needing to follow through with Nico's dangerous plan that he's been avoiding for over a year. But then a faraway explosion shakes the room and lights the ocean. Percy asks what it was, and Tyson says that Poseidon will explain soon he's out blowing up monsters. Percy thinks that the palace is gorgeous despite it being actively destroyed. He describes it in a very beautiful way, quote, the palace was as big as the city on Mount Olympus with wide courtyards, gardens, and columned pavilions. The gardens were sculpted with coral colonies and glowing sea plants. 20 or 30 buildings were made of abalone, white but gleaming with rainbow colors. Fish and octopi darted in and out of the windows. The paths were lined with glowing pearls like Christmas lights. It sounds very pretty, quite gorgeous. Rad as hell. Yeah. (laughs) The main courtyard is filled with mermen warriors. They have human bodies with blue skin from the waist up and fish tails for legs. One swims past Percy and Percy sees that they have glow stick green eyes and shark teeth. And narrative Percy says, they don't show you stuff like this in The Little Mermaid, but they (laughs) might in the original Little Mermaid, which you described to me because we went to Copenhagen and there's a Little Mermaid statue and it's about the book because the Mm -hmm. author was Danish, I I believe. believe. Yes. And you knew the full story. Uh, (laughs) It's really different from the Disney movie, everybody. (laughs) I don't know if you want to read the recap, but it's a little gruesome and I was not expecting the direction that it went when you (laughs) recapped the plot to Kelly and I. (laughs) Sorry about that. Yeah, look, it's okay. It's good to know, but it was still... (laughs) Now, outside the courtyard are defenses such as walls, towers, and weapons. Many of them are damaged. Some of them are actively shooting out Greek fire, which can still burn underwater, which is quite convenient for us. Farther outside, the ocean floor is just a terrible situation. There's ongoing battles that even Percy has a hard time seeing, despite his ability to see through the ocean with his semi-heat vision situation going on. He also does remember, because he says something like a mortal wouldn't be able to see it either, and then he's like, oh, right. Mortals would also get crushed by the pressure of being on the ocean floor, so I'm a little bit different than them. But even he is struggling to see exactly what's going on. 
but at the far end of the complex is a temple with a red coral roof, and that roof explodes, which sends fire and debris all around. Percy then sees a giant squid the size of a skyscraper surrounded by what he thinks is dust at first, but it's a bunch of mermen fighting it, so that puts into perspective how freaking big this thing is. And the squid attacks the palace again, but then a brilliant beam of blue light emits from the rooftop from one of the tallest buildings. And it was only in this moment that I understood the etymology of the word brilliant, because I knew brilliant could mean really smart and brilliant could mean really bright, but smart can also mean bright. Ah, Ah. Really bright, really bright, brilliant, brilliant, ah. Why no? Gosh. For those listening, I did, like, my mind was blown. Yeah. My hand. Yeah. I would hope that they could do the context of... <laughs> It'd be funny if someone's listening to the podcast like, was there a very small explosion on stage? <laughs> <laughs> now, this brilliant arc of light instantly dissolves the squid. And Tyson points to it and says, Daddy. And Percy asks, he, with he in italics, did that? And literally, who else would it be, Percy? <laughs> Who else would it be? Come on. Percy feels a bit more hopeful now that he has witnessed the strength of Poseidon's powers, thinking, okay, perhaps that he could use these powers to help me if I have to fight Kronos and his army again. That big laser beam was pretty nice. Let's uh, get some of that going on. Percy asks Tyson if he's been fighting. Tyson looks dejected and mumbles, I have been fixing weapons, which is clearly (laughs) not what he wants to do, which is a bit surprising because he is crafty, but I guess he also wants to get into the mix as well. Yeah, I mean, like Tyson's shown us he's very capable, like uh, in combat and stuff as well, you know? So, I mean, I I can imagine it's pretty hard to see your home blowing up around you and you're just sitting there fixing a sword. Right, especially because he's spent extended periods of time in this kingdom. He had his Mm -hmm. whole basically internship program where he was learning how to do all the stuff. So yeah, I guess he's got more of that home connection to it as mm-hmm. opposed to Percy who's only here for the first time and he knows he's supposed to like this place, but Tyson's literally lived there. So yeah, yeah it's kind of his home. He doesn't really have a home elsewhere aside from camp. So though he's sad about this, he does say something that is our fun happy note to end on. He says, come, let's go find daddy. And I'm very excited <laughs> to talk with Poseidon in Poseidon's lair, but we are at time, so that is the end of this portion of the episode. If you're listening at home, we're gonna break for the mid-roll break, but if you're here in person, let's talk about intermission. Hello and welcome to the Cashed Olympia New York City edition. I am back in the now more refined Shubio as we have more things in here to help with sound dampening, but also we have things to help with vibe improvements. I've put up some knickknacks and stuff, things that folks have sent in either to the PO box or have given me at live shows. So now it's really starting to feel like a home, which is nice. Now let's get into some announcements. First, I did just mention the PO box. I'm switching the PO box. So at the end of June, the Texas PO box will be no more and I will be getting a New York P.O. box. So if you ever do want to send something to me, you obviously are under no obligation to do so. I'm just saying this for logistical purposes. Don't mail anything to the Texas one. Don't do it. Just wait for me to update with the new New York one. It's on the contact us page at the Now, there are two things for me to address in this episode. First, something that we talked about. We talked about Luke's decision to wear flip-flops being whack because you want to have more action issues. I didn't stress how 
awful of a decision it is for him to wear flip-flops and jeans, jeans and flip-flops, woo, bad fashion faux pas, bad look. You can get away with it with shorts and stuff, but jeans and flip-flops, oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a really tough look. I, I can't, I wouldn't recommend it, you know, like to each their own. If you wear jeans and flip-flops, you do you, but personally, I don't think it's a good fashion look, so I would recommend doing something else. Jeans and flip-flops is tough, but also like, why are you wearing jeans and flip-flops? Like, is it the summer or is it the winter? Make up your mind. Second thing is something that'll come up in the Q&A. The German folks asked if I have had a Paul Lahner Spetsy yet. At that time, I hadn't. After the show, I did. It's like this orange cola, but it's like Coke with orange. And I got to say, didn't taste a lot of orange in there. My review would be needs more orange. If you had just handed me this and told me nothing about it, I thought you would have handed me just a Coca-Cola straight up. The orange flavoring, not strong enough. That is my official review. Please don't fight me. I am just a podcaster. I am not German and maybe my taste buds are broken. Now, other announcements. Obviously, we've got the live shows coming up. The next one is in Hartford, Connecticut, July 15th. And then we've got some other shows in the Midwest, such as Chicago and Milwaukee and Minneapolis in August. Tickets are live for all those shows at thenewsolympian.com slash live. But I also want to tell you about a live thing that I'm doing that is not a live show, but a convention. I haven't talked about it as much, but I will be at LeakyCon in Chicago the entire weekend of LeakyCon. I'm doing stuff both for the News Olympian and for Potterless, my Harry Potter podcast. It's going to be really fun. There will be a live The News Olympian show there. I'm not exactly sure what all of my content will be. The programming team has been beginning to send me some emails, but basically I'm going to be doing stuff every single day and I'll be doing a whole bunch of it. So if you can only attend for one day, I will be doing something every day. I'm not exactly sure what date the TNO show will be, but whenever I figure that out, I will mention it here, post it on social media, et cetera, et cetera. Now, just a reminder for folks that are anywhere, not just people who can travel to these events. We've got a whole bunch of wonderful merchandise over at thenewsolympian.com slash merch. We have physical stuff. But we also have digital things. So if you live far away from America and the international shipping is prohibitive, do not fret because we have digital merch. We have the ability to get the TNO theme song as a ringtone. We have digital merch bundles that have wallpapers and ringtones and text tones where I took things from the show and I recorded some extra stuff and there's some sounds and voices and things you'll recognize all in digital bundle form. We also have past live shows. There's all really cool stuff up on the merch store and there's some digital things that involve zero dollars of shipping, all you got to do is go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch. Merchandise is a fantastic way to support the show. Another fantastic way to support the show is the Patreon. And you want to talk about no shipping costs, no shipping costs at all for Patreon, even though we send out stuff. We've got exclusive stickers that say per see you later. We've got exclusive pins that say per see you later. We have exclusive Olympic court holographic stickers. If you're at the highest tier, doesn't matter where you are. We don't worry about the shipping. It's all equal. I don't make you pay more if you live in a different country, but you can go to the New Olympian.com slash Patreon and get access to those physical things and also digital things and bonus content. But I want to thank the folks who have joined our Patreon most recently. So shout out to our newest God tier patron, King Karna, and shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Berlin Noland and Kara Mack. Thank you all so much for your support. May Aries bless you that if you're ever listening to the song War, that old R&B song by Edwin Starr, that it just sounds so good and crisp in your ears, no matter what headphones or speakers you're using. Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you are looking for a new podcast to consume, I make a lot of podcasts and they are ready for your consumption and they're all free to listen to. I'm an independent podcast boy. I appreciate you listening to this show and any other show that I make. And one of the other shows that I make that I think you will enjoy and we mention it in the Q&A is Modern Muckraker. Modern Muckraker is a scripted show that I put together with a wonderful team of people, very talented individuals. 
And it's a show where I play the role of a journalist who is conducting what he believes to be the world's most important research, using such journalistic integrity to answer questions that he thinks are serious but are in fact very silly, such as, when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web swinging? Or, if you lost half of an orchestra, what remaining instruments would create the worst possible sound? It's funny, it's goofy, we interview highly overqualified experts, and it's very fun. There's four episodes, you can listen to them all right now by searching for Modern Muckraker wherever you get your podcasts, or by going to modernmuck.com. Now before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally, so if you live in Germany, don't be surprised if you hear an ad for Paul Honor Spetsy, and don't be surprised if they talk about how great the orange flavor is. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The New Olympian. This episode of The New Olympian is brought to you by Athletic Greens. In this chapter, we've got Percy and Beckendorf packing something green and useful. That's Greek fire. But what else could they pack that's green and helpful? Maybe something that could give them vitamins and nutrients. What could they do? They could bring along Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens when I was traveling. I've talked about that a lot, but now I was sent a new shipment of Athletic Greens and we have it in our fridge at home and it's really nice to have. I've been scooping it into my smoothies, which has been really nice. I like to have my smoothies. I talk about it in these ad reads, but you want to amp up the vitamin and mineral aspect of those smoothies? Yes, I do. So what am I doing? I'm adding Athletic Greens scoops in there and it's great. I enjoy it quite a bit. There's a lot of people who take some sort of daily multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb and that is the case for Athletic Greens. They only use the best of the best products based on the latest science. They do constant product iteration and third party testing and they make sure that there's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything in Athletic Greens. So if you want to arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, you can do so with Athletic Greens and to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash newest Olympian. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash newest Olympian to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So if you want to pack something green and helpful on your trip, aside from Greek fire, you should bring Athletic Greens today. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high quality meats. And now we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. We've got time here to do some Q&A. There's some fun questions, so let's get to them. This first one is from longtime supporter of the show, Lada Bartova. The email subject line is all caps, Munich show. Hello, boys, I'm back. It's me, I'm the problem. <laughs> Lada was in attendance of the very first show on the tour in Dublin, and now at the very last show here. So what a fun bookend. <laughs> Lada says, hi, Mike, how much fun are you having in Germany? Trick question, there's no fun in Germany. <laughs> In parentheses, this question has been approved by a German. <laughs> okay, a real question now. Since you've been in Germany for a while, have you tried the beer here, and how does it compare to American, and then in parentheses, or check with six eyeball emojis, beer, wizard on, Lada. I've had a good amount of beer mm -hmm. here. 
Had some stuff in Berlin that was really solid. I've had mm-hmm. quite a few of, is it Hella's beer? Is that how you say it? Yeah. I've been enjoying those quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I had a lot of them before coming over here, but those have been really solid. And I've never been to this part of Germany. I've only ever been to Western Germany, like Dusseldorf and Cologne, um, mm-hmm. which I've enjoyed. And I've had alt beer in Dusseldorf and I've had Kolsch beer in Cologne, but I've never had some of the beers over here. So it's been very solid. Now, a lot of may have made a joke about Czech beer, but I love Czech beer. <laughs> Specifically, when I went to Prague, there was a beer, and I Googled this so that I would at least have the words in front of me, but I will butcher the name. The brand of the beer is Kozel, K-O-Z-E-L. Their logo, Kozel, thank you. Their logo is a goat drinking a huge pint. <laughs> I guess like, it's more like a gallon. Like, that's a huge, so that's why I ordered the beer the first time. I saw the logo, and I was like, I'll have one of those, please. <laughs> But then there's multiple types, and I picked the one that on the top of it, it is, it is, I think, Velko Popoviki. It's spelled V-E-L-K-O-P-O-P-O-V-I-C-K-Y with a dash over it. And when I saw that on the menu, I was like, uh, yes, please. <laughs> but also, it's delicious. And that was like the first beer I had in Prague. And then it was the only beer I had in Prague because <laughs> it was delicious. So I will say that beer, really, really solid. But comparing to American beer, all the beer here has been very good. I understand mm-hmm. why it's more of a thing here. And, you know, we make things like Bud Light. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the German beer? You're much more of a beer drinker than oh, I yeah. am. I mean, yeah, I, I really like it here. It's... um. It's interesting because, like, back in the States, like, the craft beer scene is really huge. So it's, like, a bunch of, like, I don't know, let's let's dunk this stout in whiskey barrels and then uh, see what happens, see what happens <laughs> you know? And, like, let's throw some cherries on top at the end. There's a lot of weird flavors going on here. But what I've noticed a lot in, for a lot of German beers is that they're just very really well-crafted and simple and tasty. Yeah. You know, and that's all you need. And, like, oftentimes, like, with American beer, it's just trying to get more and more alcoholic. Yeah. And you don't mm-hmm. really need to. Right. Yeah. You know? Because then you so, can't have as many without passing out. Come yeah, on. It's just like, I think it's just a much simpler and pleasant experience having German beer. Yeah. All right. So this question comes from Sabrina, longtime supporter of the show as well. Question, any wild predictions for Percy Jackson book five, apart from Juniper being the spy and maybe a tree? Question mark. <laughs> Thanks for the great show, Sabrina. And Aiden from Switzerland. And then in parentheses, it's actually not that far. Well, shout out to you coming from Switzerland. In my brain, I'm like, that's another country. That's far. <laughs> but it's f- three hours? Okay. Sizable, sizable. Yeah, not easy. You didn't walk here. It's so a weeknight. You know, I mean, harder commute than I had. <laughs> we just took the public... <laughs> transit from Mm -hmm. undisclosed location hotel. (laughs) But as far as wild predictions, I don't know. I mean, it's getting, it's getting later. There were some wild predictions I had before some things went like I thought Cronus was going to come back as like a big automaton or something. But my only sort of prediction that I'm thinking right now is that I would guess that there's going to be some situation where Luke is able to like separate himself enough from Kronos and he's going to do this thing where he realizes the error of his ways and he's sorry. And he's going to do something where he kind of like sacrifices himself in a way where like Kronos' spirit leaves his body. But then I'm afraid that Kronos' spirit is going to like inhabit something more scary. Like, I don't think that'll be the end. I feel like they're going to have to do something else or at least like Luke will be a part of it. So that would be like my biggest picture thing. You can't say anything. So let's move on to the next question. (laughs) This one is from Lata, am I saying it right? L-O-T-T-A? Cool. Uh, the subject line is, I traveled 900 kilometers to see you 550 miles. Now, I do know that that is a lot. <laughs> Question says, hey, Shubes, love the shirt. 
I guess talking about the previous one, but this one, you know, this is nice. <laughs> How to do a little costume change for the shows. Uh, great show. My questions are, what would you like to see happen in the final book? So I've already talked about predictions. As far as what I would like to see happen, I would like to see Percy, I was gonna say I'd like to say Percy and Annabeth get together, which I would still like to see, but now the Rachel Elizabeth Dare triangle is getting really <laughs> interesting with the beginning of book five. So I'd like to see Percy happy. Uh, I would like to see <laughs> my friends alive. Um, and I would, what I really want to see is I want to see something happen where either Hades is more reunited with Olympus or like there is more Hades appreciation in the camp. I feel like that they have been outcasts for no good reason. I feel like Hades is more misunderstood than evil. I feel like Miko should have a place at camp. I would like to see the Hades side of Olympus be embraced more by the rest of Olympus. That's what I would like to see. Uh, the next question, and you are allowed to answer this one, <laughs> is what would your demigod dream look like? What do you think would slash could happen? So as far as demigod dreams... I'm not really sure. I've never necessarily been one for premonitions. I know the dreams usually let you like see what's going on in the world around you. So I don't know if there would be a prediction that I would have there. The problem with me is my dreams are not particularly vivid. I usually mm -hmm. like have the dreams and then I wake up and then I'll be like, you know, making breakfast or something like that. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that dream was really weird. What happened? And then I've immediately forgotten it. So I feel like if I did have demigod dreams, if they tried to relay important information to me, I'd wake up and I'd be like, that was weird. What happened again? And I'd be useless. What about you? <laughs> I mean, I would love just to, for it to predict me to get like 10 hours of sleep the next night. Like, mm. uh, that'd be great. It'd be very, very good. Final question that Lada asks is, do you think the Bob will come back? I do. And I really hope he does, but we will just have to see. Okay, this next question is from Saul from Norway. Three months traveling to see the Munich live show. What did you walk? <laughs> also, we did a show in Norway. What are you doing? <laughs> what, what's the three months of traveling? I'm interrailing. You're what? Interra I'm, I'm on a train. I'm on a train. Oh, a train. Oh, a oh. train trip, like going all around? Oh, cool. Whoa. Are you going to Rio like the website predicts? Oh, do you guys want to use RomeToRio.com? Oh, man. I was really that, proud of that joke. There's a website I, called yeah. Rome to Rio that you can use for like all public transit and stuff like that. I guess they don't have RomeToRio.de. Yeah. They only have yeah. .com anyway. <laughs> Hi, I was wondering if you have any thought on how incredibly convenient Percy's dreams are. It's also suggested that all demigods get these dreams. What do you think that the random other campers dream about? Love both shows. So... It is very convenient, but I've realized, or at least with the two YA series that I have covered on podcasts extensively, that it just seems like it's kind of a thing with YA series of like, somehow you need to be able to see what's going on and you need <laughs> to justify it. And I guess in Harry Potter's way, they had the Horcrux justification. And then in this mm -hmm. way with PJO, you've got just, that's how Demigod Dream works. I think it makes more sense in the Percy Jackson world because it is a first person narrated story so you need him to see it for him to relay that information to us yeah it felt much more convenient in the harry potter sense so i will say like yeah it's convenient but also like as i've said a lot on the podcast like it's a book and you need <laughs> the book to work and that's just a nice way for the book to work mm -hmm. as far as what other people dream about though i'm not really sure i would guess some people like see stuff about the quest but we also really haven't had a lot of other people. Sometimes people have dreams like relevant yeah. to the prophecy. So I would guess that if other people are on the quest, they have some dreams about what's going on. And yeah. that would be my thought there. Clarice just dreams about murdering people. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a good one. Okay. 
So this one is from Matthias. The subject line, Munich sucks. <laughs> Interesting. Food-related questions. Did you already have a donor kebab and a Polaner Spetzi in Germany? I have had a donor kebab because mm -hmm. we, after the Berlin show, the second one, one of the questions was like, yo, you gotta get one. And I was like, all right, we haven't had one. And then after the show, we had a couple of those German beers that we talked about. <laughs> and then me, Kelly, and Steven were walking home and we saw a big bright sign. <laughs> and we were like, yeah. <laughs> so I went in and I ordered two spicy ones and one non-spicy one because I care about my wife. <laughs> and we ate them on the walk home and they were really freaking oh good. Oh my gosh. They hit the spot so delicious mm. and quite affordable as well. It yeah. was only like 650 euro, which was like very nice. I'll take that. Wow. There used to be five. Oh, For three? Okay. Stuff in New York is now like 10 bucks. It's getting gross. It's getting yeah. bad. So I can understand that. I was, yeah. It was wonderful. What is a Paul Honor Spetsy though? like a mix between orange juice, like Fanta, okay. and uh, cola. Oh, so it's oh. like an orange soda, kind of? But with Coke, okay, so like a oh. like more traditional cola. Orange juice originally. Thank you. Okay. Lena from Modern Muckraker. <laughs> so, got it, yeah, all right. Coke and orange juice, cool. Right. That sounds good. I, I do find it interesting, as we've gone through the Torup cities, mm -hmm. feels like people are really in to orange soda or like orange flavored sodas because yes. there was Solo in Oslo that they were yes. very proud of. They were like, it's orange soda and it's better than Fanta. And it was, because it yeah. tasted more like orange. And mm -hmm. then when we were in a couple of different places in Finland and I think a few others, we've seen Jaffa's been around and that was really good, but more like your traditional mm -hmm. orange soda. But now we've got this. I don't know what's going on with oranges over here. <laughs> was uh -huh. it like one of those things where like back in like you know, the the olden times, like oranges were gold, so <laughs> orange was currency, so any drink with orange was the nectar of the gods. Ah. Ah. But no, we'll have to try it. I'll keep my eyes peeled. Kelly and I are here for a couple more days, so I will yeah. I will see it and I will order it. I will do that. Um, the next question though is, what's your opinion on tomatoes on burgers or donor? I was very confused by this. Do you guys not put tomatoes on stuff here? People hate it. You hate oh. putting tomatoes on something? Ooh, divisive. Yeah. Divisive. So at I, the very least, it's divisive. I will say, I enjoy a tomato on a burger. I enjoy mm -hmm. a tomato on like a donor kebab or a shawarma or whatever. Yeah. I just think they provide a nice texture difference, mm -hmm. you know, cold thing on a hot thing. I like it. I will say when you have a mushy tomato though, it yes. can completely ruin the sandwich. But in the general sense, I'm very pro tomato. Oh yeah. Same, same for me. All right. Fresh tomato, great. That's really solid. Okay. Um, this one uh, is from Lunar, subject line. I'm here because you didn't go to Indianapolis this tour, so my boyfriend couldn't see you first. So I'm guessing when I was in Indianapolis last year, your boyfriend went there first and you were jealous? No. No. <laughs> then what's the explanation? Ah, uh, he didn't uh, go at all because he knew he'd be jealous. That is really sweet. But... He could have done, he could have gone. <laughs> As someone who's heavily invested when people buy more chicken. <laughs> Does that mean very... he can go now? Yeah, now can he go if I do an Indianapolis show? I'm going to be in the Midwest later, so he can kind of go. Anyway, the question. <laughs> Hi, hello, and guten Abend. Is that like good evening? Cool. If you had to choose someone from each series, Harry Potter and Percy Jackson, to go on a quest with you, who would it be and what quest would you like to go on? Let's see. I would definitely pick Hermione for Harry Potter because she's the only competent main character of sorts. 
For Percy Jackson, I'd probably pick Grover just because he's hmm. got experience as a searcher. Feels like he would be a good person to have along. What about you? I'd pick Hermione. Similarly, she's very competent. And then yeah. I'd also pick Annabeth because very competent. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. You know what's I don't going on. know what kind of quest I would go on, but I would probably go on one that's lower stakes since yes. death is usually very high. Okay, so this question I think is fantastic. Saw it in the back, and it's, I think, the perfect one to end the show on. The subject line, sorry, I only drove 10 minutes to get here. Which is <laughs> very fun. This one is from Karina. Says, hi, I feel like we all had cringy email addresses when we first created them. If you think of the Percy Jackson characters, what would their first possibly cringy email address be? I think this is fantastic. Now, <laughs> my cringy email address, the very first one that I had, which I've said on the show, is my first one was MJS Dude, which is my initials and then Dude. <laughs> Did you have a cringy email address yes, from back in the day? Yes, it was called SpazOut999. Woof! Woof! I didn't even make it. Oh, my, wait, how did that happen then? My friend was like, you need to sign up for AIM and then did it for me. Oh, okay, good. Well, I'm glad and I that can say that your name. friend has horrible taste. <laughs> Rough. Did you keep it though for a very long time or did you uh, switch to another It's still the one? spam email address I give to websites <laughs> to just email things to. Wow, 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 wow. wow. Any significance to the 999 or did he just pick 999? No, he just picked numbers. All right. Now we're thinking of the PJO characters. They've got cringy email addresses. What would they have? I feel like Percy, because he talks about basketball so much, I feel like he's gonna pick something basketball related. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like he would pick like, I don't know, Dribble Boy 12 or Hooper Guy 8 or something like that. Yeah. Or, oh, he loves blue, so maybe it would be like Blue Hooper 6, something yeah. like that. I feel like that would be his. What do we What do we think about the others, though? Uh, Annabeth? Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah, it's good, yep. Frank Lloyd Wright is an architect, uh, yeah. so that was the great pun that Stephen just made. Yeah. Um, Grover. It's going to be something pan. Something pan related, like I don't know. I can only think of like frying pan, but I don't think he would <laughs> pan put fan that together. Pan fan, fan. Yeah, One, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pan fan. I like that. Thalia would do the thing, which is very much the punk rock thing. Like mm -hmm. that's very hot topic. It would be like capital X lowercase X <laughs> underscore something underscore lowercase X capital X. But yeah. the question is, what's in the middle? Maybe like you know XX punk rock girl. XX, like yeah. something like that would be hers. Mm -hmm. Any other major characters that we could think? Kronos. Kronos. Mm. He would have something where you try to make it sound really cool. Like he'd pick like Lord of Time, but then he would be insistent but, on like making it work if someone else already had it. So it'd be like the O is a zero and the <laughs> E is a three. <laughs> like he would do all those sorts of things because he's mm -hmm. like insistent of like, I will have Lord of Time. <laughs> And no one else will have this username. <laughs> um, any any others uh, to Chiron? Chiron would have something like cryptic. Like it'd be some like, hmm, or not a centaur. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right, right. <laughs> Definitely not a, a centaur. centaur would be his. Yeah. Uh, and then Mr. D's would be like, shut up, Peter Johnson. <laughs> And those are the AIM usernames. And that is the show. Wait. Now, first off, give yourselves a round of applause for making it out to the show. 
I know a lot of you traveled from a far distance, so what we have here is a gift. Stephen picked up this copy of The Demigod Files, and he has been reading it in prep for the shows. So Stephen Kelly and I signed it. I wrote, thanks for making the voyage in the front, and then we all signed it. But uh, who, uh, who traveled from the farthest? Who thinks that they traveled from the farthest away for the show? And we will figure it out. Ireland? Anyone come from farther than Ireland for the show? I don't know the distance, but Norway. Norway. Let's see. I'm looking at the map. Dublin's there. That's there. Norway's there. What part of Norway? Bergen. Oh, it's okay. Oh. Then I think you have won. I think you have won by coming from Norway to here for the show. So we will uh, we will leave this. Um, do you have the silver Sharpie back there? Do you want to grab one it for your name? Yeah. What is, what's your name? Sewell, okay, S-O-L, great. So we will personalize this and put Sewell at the top. So thank you so much for coming from far away. I will put that as on the top as you all give Stephen a round of applause for being an incredible guest. And also give it up to all the people here at the venue, which I still haven't learned the pronunciation of. I think it's Heppel in Eitlik, but I don't know if I'm saying it wrong, but Mario yeah. has been organizing everything. We were emailing stuff about setting up the show and he was running the sound and everything like that. So please give it up to Mario and the whole team here for making this a very smooth experience. We had the wonderful problem of having to add a second show because you all <laughs> sold out the show so quickly. So thank you so much for that. Uh, but yes, thank you all so much for coming out to the show. This has been absolutely wonderful. Such a delight. I really appreciate you all so much for coming out to the show and making this such a lovely evening and a lovely cherry on top to the end of Tour Up, the final show. This has been so cool. And I'm so appreciative to all of you for coming out. So thank you again so much. I very much appreciate it. Until I find my way back in Munich, if I do Tour Round two, Electric Boogaloo. Until then, <laughs> I'll Over, see you later. Thanks so much for coming out, everybody. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want more TNO in your life, there's a couple different places you can find us. You can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash The Newest Olympian, and then Patreon has a whole bunch of bonus content at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. Speaking of the Patreon, I'm going to give a shout out to our producer-level patrons, our members of the Olympic Court. Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vikstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayer, Joshua Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kittes, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalma, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Chris, Cece Reads 23, Sandkopf, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsma, Demigod Nurse, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Lunica Dune, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, and Sky Captain and the Princess. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can talk about the podcast. Word of mouth is so huge. Whether you tell someone directly, you know someone who is a PJO fan, or someone who's been looking for an excuse to read the books, you reach out, hey, there's this podcast, TNO, the new Olympian, it's perfect, the host is great and also humble. You would love it, you should check it out. Or you can post about us on social media, or you can leave us a rating and review on whatever 
whatever podcasting app you're using. All of these things really help. And if you do any of these things, I am so, so thankful. And if you do them in the future, thanks in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and I hope you tune into our next episode where we will finish up chapter two and get through a good chunk of chapter three with a new guest to TNO, Sequoia Simone. But until then, I'll see you later. Hey, is it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So as I mentioned in the mid-roll break, there are new things added here to the Shubio, and I'm going to make some more noise with those new things. One of those new things is I hung up all of the various lanyard-based ID badge things that I've gotten from past conventions that I've been a part of either as a performer or as a podcast boy, if it's a podcasting convention. I'm just going to kind of like rattle them all together and see what kind of jingly noise it makes. Thank you for listening. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.